text for this morning's sermon is Psalm 78, verse 72. God chose David to shepherd his people Israel, and this verse describes how David was to do that. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we will witness the ordination of five new office bearers, four elders, and one deacon. We believe that God, through his congregation, calls them to office. Ultimately, their appointment comes from the Lord, and their responsibility is to him. The Bible makes clear that office bearers are to shepherd Christ's flock. Christ is the head of the church, and he calls men to serve as leaders who are charged to care for his people. They function as Christ's representatives on earth. This morning we read together from Psalm 78. It is a teaching psalm. Asaph tells us he is speaking a parable. Psalm 78 recounts the history of the Lord's dealings with his people Israel. It does so to teach God's people about the Lord's goodness, faithfulness, and love and about their own rebellion and faithlessness. The purpose of the psalm is to help the coming generations to truly put their faith and their trust in God. What's striking about Psalm 78 is the way in which it ends. Asaph has told us about all the Lord's wondrous works. He speaks about the manner in which the Lord delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt and of his care for them in the wilderness. Yet time and again Israel did not believe in God and did not trust His saving power. They rebelled against Him in the wilderness. They turned away to other gods when He settled them in the promised land. From the time of Moses and Joshua, through the whole period of the judges, Israel repeatedly turned away from the Lord's service. Yet note how Psalm 78 ends. There is a climatic ending to this psalm. The Lord breaks the previous cycle of unbelief and rebellion. How did he do that? Well, Psalm 78 verse 70 says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfold. The Lord chose David. God picked this man as the next leader of his people. David was a shepherd, a man who looked after sheep. God appointed him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. Our text describes how Jacob did that. It provides direction for our office bearers that are to shepherd God's people today. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God appoints office bearers to shepherd his people. They are to do so with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. Our text describes how God chose David to shepherd his people, and it tells us, with upright heart he shepherded them. What does that mean? The Hebrew word translated upright has a range of meanings. It makes clear that David shepherded God's people with understanding, discernment, and wisdom. And yet our text is not wrong to translate that David shepherded Israel with an upright heart. David's understanding and discernment didn't merely come from within himself. 
It was an understanding and discernment that came from knowing his God. Proverbs tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Putting together both the elements of wisdom and uprightness, we could say David shepherded God's people with integrity of heart. When Israel first requested a king like the surrounding nations, God gave them Saul. Saul lacked integrity of heart. He wasn't right in his relationship with God, and the result was he couldn't shepherd God's people with discernment and understanding. God commanded Saul to avenge what the Amalekites did to Israel when they came out of Egypt by putting them under the ban of destruction. But Saul kept the best of all the livestock and all that was good. He refused to destroy it. When Samuel confronted him with his sin, instead of repenting, he made excuses. He shifted the blame onto the people. 1 Samuel 16 tells us that the Lord sent Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. When Samuel saw Eliab, David's oldest brother, he thought the Lord would choose him as Israel's next king. But the Lord told Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Psalm 78 tells us the Lord chose David as king. And the reason God chose David was because he was a man after God's own heart. A man who would do God's will. David's integrity of heart was not just something inward that only God could see. It was something that also manifested itself outwardly. When Saul was afflicted with an evil spirit, his servant suggested someone be found who was skillful in playing the lyre, as soothing music would make Saul better. Saul asked his men to provide someone for him. One of his young men recommended David. He said that David is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. In time, Saul made David a commander of a thousand men in his army. Because of his devotion to the Lord and his master, God blessed David. David had great success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Even Saul himself stood in fearful awe of him. 1 Samuel 18.15 What's particularly noteworthy is how David was received by the people. Samuel writes that all Israel and Judah loved David. There's a few specific incidents in David's life that show forth his integrity in a special way. The first one relates to a time when David was fighting against the Philistines and they were encamped at Bethlehem. David was out in the desert. He was thirsty. He said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Three of David's mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines to draw water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem, and they brought it to David. Yet David refused to drink it. 
He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He was unwilling to drink it because his men unnecessarily risked their life just to get him what he wanted. In the integrity of his heart, David was unwilling to personally benefit from something that could so easily have cost his men their lives. You can only imagine how this would have bonded the hearts of David's men to him. He acted uprightly, and they loved, they respected him for it. The same applies to the very situations when the Lord gave Saul over into the hands of David. Once Saul knew that David had been anointed king over Israel, he sought David's life. He chased him from the desert to the mountains to the caves. But on a few specific situations, in a few specific situations, David had glorious opportunities to take revenge, to kill the man who was heartlessly pursuing him. David refused to put Saul to death, even when his men urged him to. He saw Saul as the Lord's anointed king. David refused to take matters into his own hands. The facts that David was a man after God's own heart and that he shepherded God's people with integrity of heart does not mean that David didn't make mistakes or ever fall into any sin. David fell into grievous sin when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. For a time, David lived in sinful blindness, not acknowledging or confessing his sin. Yet what's striking to see is how he responds once the prophet Nathan confronted him with his wrongdoing. Unlike Saul, David accepted full responsibility. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't try to shift the blame on anyone else. Psalm 51 shows his integrity of heart. He came before the Lord with a contrite and humble heart, confessing his sin, pleading for God's mercy and forgiveness. David also sinned greatly against the Lord when he commanded Joab to number the people of Israel. The size of David's armies was unimportant. What mattered was that God was with him. Yet David showed forth a lack of trust in God's faithfulness and care when he insisted that a census of, David, of Israel's fighting men be taken. The prophet Gad confronted David with his sin. He told him to choose one of three punishments either three years of famine or three months of fleeing from his enemies or three days of pestilence in the land. David chose the pestilence for he preferred to fall into the hands of the Lord. He knew God was merciful. The Lord struck down 70,000 men. Striking to see David's response when he observed the angel of God striking down the people. He said, Behold, I have sinned. I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Because David was an upright man, he was mortified that his sin had such severe consequences for God's people. David was willing to suffer, even to die, if only God would spare the people. Because of his integrity of heart, because of his plea for mercy, God relented from destroying Jerusalem. Beloved, we know that King David was a forerunner of the true Messiah to come. 
David's great son, our Lord Jesus Christ, came from his line, according to God's promise. He came to do what David ultimately could not do, to provide real and lasting redemption for God's people. Jesus is the true shepherd of God's people. Like David, he ministered to them with understanding, discernment, and wisdom. He was able to do so because of his integrity of heart. As the Son of God, Jesus had a deep understanding of people in the midst of all their troubles and their sorrows. At the same time, Jesus was without sin, uncorrupted by the fall of mankind. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus cried out, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In calling people to come and find rest for their souls in Him, Jesus described Himself as being gentle and lowly in heart. It speaks wonderfully to the character of Jesus. He did not come to earth to be served, but to serve, to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus sought out the lost in Israel. In His ministry, He showed forth not just the power of God, but also His goodness and mercy. By healing many of their illnesses and diseases, by casting out evil spirits from those who were demon-possessed. When Jesus spoke, He spoke with authority and not as the scribes. In John 10, Jesus reveals Himself as the Good Shepherd of the flock. How does one distinguish a Good Shepherd from thieves and robbers, or even from hired men. Well, Jesus says that the Good Shepherd calls His sheep by name, and they know His voice. He's speaking about an intimate, personal connection that a true shepherd has with those under His care. Yet what really separates a Good Shepherd from others is that the Good Shepherd cares about His sheep. He's willing to sacrifice for them. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It teaches us something about the role of office bearers today. Like David and like Christ, office bearers are called to shepherd God's people. As Peter commanded the elders of 1 Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. As our text teaches, our office bearers are to do that with integrity of heart. Their hearts need to be right before God. They need to be in a personal relationship with the Lord to serve Him in their own lives. They need to continually equip themselves with the Word of God so that they can lead us in God's ways. Office bearers need hearts that are focused not on themselves, but on those under their care. Their service needs to be motivated by a deep love and care for Christ's flock. We need to remember, beloved, the church is Christ's bride. Christ loved the church so much He gave Himself up for her. Office bearers, your brothers and sisters, those under your care, they are God's precious people, redeemed by Christ's blood. That's why Peter commands the elders to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, 
not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Office bearers need to be determined to lead God's people with discernment and understanding. To do that, they need to know the things that threaten God's people, the ways in which we come under attack by our enemies, the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. They need to know the gospel of grace and of how God calls us to live in the freedom Christ has earned for us. They also need to know the hearts of those under their care, to minister to them with mercy and love. Ultimately, their task is to direct God's people to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, so we may find mercy and grace in Him. This brings us to our second point, and it will see how office bearers are to shepherd God's people with skillful hands. David was a talented man. Before he began his service in Saul's court, he shepherded his father's sheep. That involved the daily tasks of leading them to pasture and making sure they had water to drink. Yet it also involved protecting them from marauding animals. The Bible makes it clear David protected the sheep under his care from attacking lions and bears. David's integrity of heart and his skillful hands caused him to stand up when Goliath was cursing the Lord. All of Israel's men were too scared to stand up to this giant of a man. They were totally intimidated. But David was not. He trusted that God was with him. He also knew that he had the ability to defeat Goliath in battle, just as he had killed lions and bears in keeping his father's sheep safe. This same confidence served David well in, in serving as commander and later as general over Israel's armies. One of the crowning achievements of David's life was that he fought courageously. He defeated the armies of the surrounding nations. When Solomon became king, there was peace in the land. David's leadership extended far beyond his military prowess. David loved God with all his heart. He knew of Israel's history and of how time and again the people wandered and strayed from God's ways. David wanted to break the cycle of rebellion and faithlessness and idolatry that had characterized the period of the judges. He knew of the people's deep need for God. He wanted to make it possible for them to live in close fellowship with the Lord. And so we see that David vowed to build the Lord a house so he could dwell among his people. David was not permitted to build the Lord a temple to dwell in, for he was a man of blood. Yet David prepared plans. He gathered material so his son Solomon could build a temple in Jerusalem. David made treaties with the surrounding nations so that stone and wood could be brought in. He stored up great wealth in the royal treasuries for the building of the temple. But that's not all that David did. He also organized the priests and Levites for service at the temple. He appointed musicians, singers, and gatekeepers. 
He led them in composing music and making songs of praise to God. David laid the foundations for Israel's cor corporate worship of God at Jerusalem. Beloved, that was a turning point in Israel's history. The building of the temple meant that the Lord came to dwell with his people. The ministry of the priests and Levites established a more regular worship of God. All Israel became accustomed to gathering in Jerusalem three times per year for their special feast days. Due to David's zeal for the Lord, the worship of God was well established for the generations to come. David's great son, our Lord Jesus Christ, did something even greater when he came to earth. Like David, he knew the history of God's people. He saw their failings. Jesus saw that in his day, for many, the worship of God was not heartfelt. They served God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So Jesus preached to the people about how the kingdom of God had come. With skillful hands, he ministered to them. He performed great signs to show God's power and point to his redeeming grace. He healed many other illnesses. He cast out evil spirits. He even raised people from the dead. You know, what Christ preached, he also accomplished. Jesus truly was the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus walked the pathway of suffering. He was willing to submit himself to the shame and the agony of the cross. By his death and resurrection, Jesus established the kingdom of God. He poured out the Spirit on the church. God now dwells among his people, not just individually, but also whenever and wherever they gather together in his name. And so Jesus laid the foundation for the worldwide spread of the gospel, the gathering of his church from all peoples and nations. Just like David and like Christ, office bearers need to shepherd the flock with skillful hands. They need to be aware of the different ways in which the church comes under attack. They need to defend God's people from Satan's assaults, from the world's temptations, from our own sinful desires. It requires having a perspective on what's happening all around us. It requires courage to lead God's people in the truth. It requires grace and love to walk with people through all the struggles and sorrows that we face in this sin-stained world. How are office bearers to minister to us in such a way? Well, their focus needs to be on ministering with the gospel of grace. They are to ensure that we are being fed by the living preaching of the gospel, that the sacraments are administered according to Christ's command, that discipline is maintained. Just as our pastors bring the gospel to us publicly in our worship services, so our elders and deacons need to minister to us with the gospel in our homes. They need to apply it to our lives, comforting, encouraging, warning, and admonishing us. Beloved, one of Satan's ploys for destroying Christ's church is by bringing division into the body. 
if he can separate us from our brothers and sisters, if he can cause disagreements and fights among us, then it's much easier for him to isolate us and to lead us astray. And so office bearers need to fight to maintain the unity of the church. It's especially the case today as we are faced with many different opinions and perspectives on COVID-19 and the public health orders. As brothers and sisters, we may have different opinions on such matters. We have different backgrounds and personalities. We are faced with different health circumstances. It's not a surprise that there are different perspectives on COVID-19 and how it should be handled. The fact that someone holds a different opinion than you doesn't make them any less of a Christian, any less of a brother or sister in Christ. Even though we may have different perspectives, we all need to be careful not to undermine each other's integrity. COVID-19 is something that has brought about a great challenge to many of our churches. It has caused sharp division in some of them to the extent that people get angry with each other, yell at each other, and avoid and disregard those who disagree with them. It's a challenge for us. As Canadian Reformed Churches, we've been relatively uniform in our perspectives and our practices. Uniformity makes unity much easier. But the downside of this is, is that we have not learned the difference between uniformity and unity. True unity can exist in our midst, despite differences of opinion. Beloved, we need to recognize that none of us has a corner on the truth. On this side of heaven, we're all flawed people. We all hold flawed perspectives. We need to show grace to those who have a different perspective than we do. Instead of avoiding brothers and sisters who disagree with us, it'd be helpful if we communicated about our differences. We can learn from one another. As Proverbs teaches us, iron sharpens iron. Office bearers need to be vigilant to help maintain the unity of the church. Beloved, we all share a great treasure. Jesus Christ suffered and died to pay for your sins. He rose again to grant us all new life in Him. Through the gospel, the apostles brought together Jews and Gentiles in unity of faith despite their vastly different backgrounds and perspectives. We today are united in our common faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now more than ever, we need each other. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with those around you. Show grace and love to all your brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially to those who hold different views than you do. Brothers and sisters, shortly we will proceed to the ordination of new elders and a deacon. God calls and appoints them to serve as shepherds of the flock among us. Pray that they may do so with integrity of heart and with skillful hands.
receive these men as representatives of Christ, charged with leading, guiding, and caring for you. Allow them to do their work with joy, to God's glory, and for the church's benefit. Amen.